Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This evening we're going to be talking about Genesis chapter 43 and before we go into chapter 43 we're going to review the story. It's a familiar story but we're not just going to review the story, we're going to look at some of the dynamics uh, within the family and we're going to look at some of the major players in the story. It's a familiar story, most of us learned it at a young age, Joseph, the 11th son of Jacob, but the oldest son of the favorite wife, Rachel. He had a technicolor dream coat. He dreamed dreams where his family bowed down to him. He was resented by his brothers. And he was sent off to check on his brothers as they were out with the flocks, and they decided to get rid of him. So we know that. And they talked about killing him, but they ended up selling him into slavery. And he ends up in Egypt, not speaking the language, not literate, at least not in the way that an Egyptian would be. But he landed there, probably doing the most menial of tasks to begin with. But then, over time, his role increased in responsibility until he was running the household of Potiphar, who was one of the officers of Pharaoh. But then he caught the attention of Potiphar's wife, who desired him, and he resisted. And eventually, she accused him. But the story didn't end there, because the slave at that time could either be killed by the owner, certainly the owner could get away with it, or they'd send him off to the mines, which is where you sent your troublesome slaves, and they'd work until they died, which wouldn't take long but he ended up in prison. Ended up running the prison from the inside. Anything that could happen in the prison, he was running that over time. But then he came across the baker and the butler who worked in the household of Pharaoh. And they had dreams that they needed to understand. They didn't understand those dreams. And, and Joseph said that his God, the God of his fathers, could provide that interpretation. And so that happened. The baker ended up being executed. The butler ended up back in the house of Pharaoh. And then Joseph stayed in prison two years, at least two years, 730 days plus, until Pharaoh had dreams that he could not understand and no one could interpret them for him. But then the butler remembered Joseph. Joseph heard the dreams of Pharaoh. And he said, God of my fathers, can provide an interpretation. And so he did. And he ended up ruling Egypt, second to only Pharaoh himself. And then eventually, he came to meet his brothers again. And we're gonna, that's where we're going to pick up in 43. We're going to pause and take a moment and look at the family. Okay, you can see you have Leah and, Bill, and um, Rachel and Zilpah and Bilhah. And then their children, all conveniently color-coded here. 
on the display, you can see that if you take Joseph and Benjamin out for a moment, that the family dynamic was not all good to begin with anyway, because you had six children of Leah, and then you had two from the handmaiden Zilpah, who was Rachel's handmaiden. I'm sorry, that was Leah's handmaiden. And then Bilhah's sons, Dan and Naphtali. So you had among the ten this dynamic of the top tier sons of Leah and then, then the sons of the secondary wives. So there was division among the brothers to begin with, but something did bring them together, and that was Joseph. Um, with his technicolor dream coat, and later on his brother Benjamin. And we learned that Joseph had in turn learned about God through his father Jacob, through Isaac. He'd heard about Abraham and heard about everything that God had done in their lives. And he had his dreams. And he believed that God was behind those dreams. And when he found himself in Egypt, sold into slavery, he didn't feel sorry for himself. He trusted God. And he didn't just wait for God to do something. He did whatever was before him. He did it well. He did it to the best of his ability. He worked well with the people that were fellow slaves. He also did an excellent job for the household until he was running it. He learned Egyptian. He learned a degree of literacy. But then he was falsely accused and he's put into prison. But he didn't sit there and feel sorry for himself. He took what was before him and he did it to the best of his ability. And he trusted God. And even when the dreams were interpreted and the butler went back into Pharaoh's household, he didn't waver, even as he was um, sitting in prison day after day after day, wondering what was going to happen. But you know, that's me thinking he would want, that he would wonder. I don't know that he wondered all that much, because I think he was busy doing the things that were before him, and he was trusting God. This makes me think of Vinnie Caputo's um, statement that he makes often when he's teaching, that these stories are examples for us, and Joseph is an example for us. So some of the things I'm going to be talking about tonight are going to be built upon later in the story. But I am taking a moment to review some of them with you. Jacob, Joseph's father, was the trickster. You might recall he um, took advantage of the weakness of his brother and tricked him out of his um, birthright. And then later on, uh, complicit with his mother, took the blessing from Esau as well. And that was what caused him to have to flee and go to his uncle Laban, where he ended up meeting Rachel and meeting Leah. And along the way, he saw God. Or at least he saw on the way there what we, some people refer to as Jacob's ladder, the angels. And then um, returning from um, his uncle, with his now large and extended family and servants and animals, um, he ended up wrestling with the angel of the Lord. And then later on, God spoke to him. But then over time, once he'd returned to the land of Canaan, he lost his wife in childbirth with Benjamin. And then later on, he lost Joseph and his 
His brothers showed him the coat of many colors that was now stained in blood. I can't imagine what it would be like losing a child, but especially losing one in that way. It must have crushed him. It seems like it did. And did he believe his sons? I guess he chose to, but he certainly did hold Benjamin close by, didn't he? He didn't send Benjamin out on errands the way he did Joseph. Reuben was the leader. He was the oldest. But he ended up having an affair of some kind with Bilhah, who was Rachel's handmaid. There are different opinions as to why that happened. Um, some believe that uh, after Rachel died, that Bilhah was getting a higher status than, than he felt was deserved, and he did this as a way to intervene. Um, others think that this was a way that he could cement his role as being the successor to his father. And if he did that, it backfired. It could have been simply a lonely woman and a young man who didn't have the wisdom or self-control. But as I've read the story, it seems that Reuben is not taken seriously from, from thereafter. Anytime he says something, it seems like his father, his brothers, really aren't paying attention to him. The next two in age are Simeon and Levi. And um, they were the ones who helped to slaughter that village. Uh, when their sister was taken advantage of by the prince, could have been raped, could have been taken advantage of, um, he promised Dinah to the prince who had done these things if all the men would, have cir would be circumcised. And then when they were recovering and they couldn't move and they were immobile, they went from, from home to home in the village and killed all the men. I don't think that they were ever considered a, the kind of people that could be leaders in the family after that. And then we had Judah, who ends up being more of a leader, ends up taking more of a vocal role, but even with him. His oldest son had married a woman named Tamar, and then he died, and then... The next son married her because that was the custom, and then he died. And eventually, he withheld his youngest son because he thought there was something wrong with Tamar when there wasn't anything wrong with her at all. And later, when she appeared to be pregnant, well, he wanted to take advantage of local custom and have her put to death, but she produced evidence that he was the father of the child, and he ended up admitting that, that Tamar was more righteous than he was. So those are some of the players. Now about the dreams, Joseph had a couple dreams. He had the dream of the grain, where one sheaf stood straight and 11 bowed to it. Funny thing is he had that dream when he only had 10 brothers. Well, it's possible Benjamin was born by then, but. And the other dream, the sun, the moon, and the stars, that was the whole family bowing to him. And he seemed to be pretty happy about the dreams and pretty cheerful, and didn't mind telling his brothers, and didn't mind telling his family, and they did not respond well to it. That, combined with the coat of many colors, really created resentment among the brothers. And it seems to me that there's an element of pride in his life that needed to be dealt with, and it was dealt with when he went to Egypt. And... Um, I'm bringing this, these pictures up because I like them. And it's about the dreams that Pharaoh had. The, uh, 
the seven lean cows eating the seven fat cows but staying lean, and then the, you know, the diseased wheat eating the good wheat but staying um, diseased. It was an important part of um, the story because it was how Joseph not only gave an interpretation to the dream that there would be seven years of famine followed by seven years of plenty, but Joseph also provided a plan of what to do about it and so impressed Pharaoh that he immediately elevated to Joseph to becoming second in command only to him. And then we've, I put this back up. This is the uh, dreams that he had because one of them ended up being fulfilled when the brothers came to buy food, not knowing that the man that they were talking to was Joseph. And Joseph, we saw, did not have in his mind revenge. When I spoke last about this, I said, if it was me, I would have had ten cisterns, each with the name of one of his brothers. In my humanness, that's what I would think. He was not thinking about that at all. He was thinking about his father. He was thinking about his brother. Because he trusted God, I'm sure he did not trust his brothers. Joseph surprises them by saying, you must bring Benjamin back to me. I would like to meet him. And in order to make them do that, he kept one of the brothers, Simeon. Everyone else went back. And when we last left it, Jacob was not going to let anybody else go. He was not willing to um, risk his youngest son, Benjamin, the only son left, he thought, of Rachel. And that brings us to, to Genesis 43. But the famine continued to ravage the land of Canaan. When the grain they had brought from Egypt was almost gone, Jacob said to his sons, Go back and buy us a little more food. But Judah said, The man was serious when he warned us, You won't see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you send Benjamin with us, we will go down and buy more food. But if you don't let Benjamin go, we won't go either. Remember, the man said, You won't see my face again unless your brother is with you. Why were you so cruel to me, Jacob moaned. Why did you tell him that you had another brother? Well, let's pause there for a moment. Does that seem like a reasonable response? Does it really, do we really believe that Judah and his brothers, while in Egypt, brought up Benjamin as a way to be cruel to his father? No, we don't believe that at all. But Jacob had been reduced to such a point to where he was paranoid at this point. A man who God had spoken to in person had been reduced to this. The man kept asking us questions about our family, they replied. He asked, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? So we answered his questions. How could we know that he would say, bring your brother down here? Judah said to his father, send the boy with me and we will be on our way. Otherwise, we will all die of starvation. Not only we, but you 
and our little ones. I personally guarantee his safety. You may hold me responsible if I don't bring him back to you. Then let me bear the blame forever. If we hadn't wasted all this time, we could have gone and returned twice by now. So it's Judah who speaks up for the brothers, and it's Judah whose voice is heard by his father. And his father responds, as we'll see. So their father Jacob finally said to them, if it can't be avoided, then at least do this. Pack your bags with the best products of this land. Take them down to the man as gifts. Balm, honey, gum, aromatic resin, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Also, take double the money that was put back in your sacks, as it was probably someone's mistake. Then take your brother and go back to the man. May God Almighty give you mercy as you go before the man so that he will release Simeon and let Benjamin return. But if I must lose my children, so be it. So it seems like the words of Judah pulled Jacob back from the brink to where he not only let them go, but he gave them a plan. You can see where Joseph gets it from. He gave them a plan on how what to bring um, to the man, to the leader, who would turned out to be Joseph, their brother, and also to bring back the extra money so that they could pay him everything that was owed. And finally, he mentions God in all this towards the end. So the men packed off Jacob's gifts and doubled the money and headed off with Benjamin. They finally arrived in Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the manager of his household, These men will eat with me this noon. Take them inside the palace, then go, slaughter an animal, and prepare a big feast. So the man did as Joseph told him and took them into Joseph's palace. And how did they respond to that? Verse 18, the brothers were terrified because they saw that they were being taken into Joseph's house. It's because of the money that someone put in our sacks last time. When we were here, they said, he plans to pretend that we stole it. Then he will seize us, make us slaves, and take our donkeys. So the brothers were scared. They remembered that they had the money that they thought that they had paid. And they thought that they were in big trouble. They thought they were being marched into the house not to have a feast, but for punishment. Verse 19, the brothers approached the manager of Joseph's household and spoke to him at the entrance of the palace. Sir, they said, we came to Egypt once before to find food, but as we were returning home, we stopped for the night and opened our sacks. Then we discovered that each man's money, the exact amount paid, was at the top of his sack. Here it is. We've brought it back with us. We also have additional money to buy more food. We have no idea who put our money in the sacks. Now, the, they approached the manager of Joseph's household and spoke to him, which means the manager could speak their language. Most likely that the manager came from the same region that they came from. Probably looked different because he was all Egyptianized, but 
they could speak to him. They felt safer trying to ask him and reason with him than to try to do it with Joseph, who they were terrified of. But the response is surprising. Relax, don't be afraid, the household manager told them. Your God, the God of your father, must have put this treasure into your sacks. I know I received your payment. Then he released Simeon and brought him out to them. That's a surprising response. So the household manager said, oh, yeah, I got paid. It must have been your fa- you, the God of your father that did this. The- That's a surprising statement to say in Egypt, where you have all these gods all over the place. But they saw their brother, and they were happy about it, so um, they weren't going to be asking any questions. The manager led the men into Joseph's palace, and he gave them water to wash their feet and provided food for their donkeys. They were told that they would be eating there, so they prepared gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon. Not bad. They thought they were going to get arrested. They thought they were in big trouble. They were getting their feet washed. Their donkeys are getting water. They're going to be having a big meal. Things are turning out better than expected. When Joseph came home, he gave them the gifts that they brought him, then bowed low to the ground before him. After greeting them, he asked, How is your father? The old man you spoke about, is he still alive? Yes, they replied. Our father, your servant, is alive and well. And then they bowed low again. Because you can't bow low enough or often enough in a situation like this, at least that's what they thought. Then Joseph looked at his brother Benjamin, son of his own mother. Is this your youngest brother? The one you told me about? Joseph asked. May God be gracious to you, my son. And then he hurried from the room because he was overcome with emotion for his brother. He went into his private room and where he broke down and wept. After washing his face, he came back out, keeping himself under control. And then he ordered, bring out the food. I can't imagine what it's like to see somebody after so many years. The brother that he had last seen, who was very, very young. The brother he had thought about over the years and, you know, trusted that he was still okay. But now he could see it. He could see that he was alive. He could see that he was well. And he was overcome, as I would be and I imagine anybody here would be. So he got himself together, came back out, and asked them to bring out the food. The waiters served Joseph at his own table, and his brothers were served at a separate table. The Egyptians who ate with Joseph sat at their own table because the Egyptians despised the Hebrews and refused to eat with them. Let's pause there. So the Hebrews, which back then was a general term. It wasn't like we despise everyone who's a descendant of Abraham or Jacob or Isaac. It was anybody from that region, especially if they came in and they hadn't taken a bath and they hadn't changed their clothes and they still smelled like they came from Canaan. They didn't want to be anywhere near them. And 
we learn later on in the book of Exodus, or actually later in this chapter, that um, people who keep flocks, they don't want to be anywhere near. So they had their own table. Joseph told each of his brothers where to sit. And to their amazement, he seated them according to age from the oldest to the youngest. How about that? It's like he knew them, right? And Joseph filled their plates with food from his own table, giving Benjamin five times as much as he gave the others. So they feasted and drank freely with him. It had to be an honor to get food from Joseph's own table, but for the older brothers to see Benjamin get much more food than he could possibly eat, obviously a form of honor. What was going through their minds? And Joseph, as he's sitting back, was he watching his brothers watch Benjamin? Makes you wonder. And that's where the chapter ends. Now, next time, we're going to try to go through two chapters. We're not going to do any review. Um, And we're going to try to build on some of the themes that we have been looking at in this story so far. Um, like trusting God even through difficult times. As we saw, Joseph trusted God when he was sold into slavery and he became a slave and then trusted God again when he was falsely accused, ends up in prison. Still trusted God. Trusted what information he had about God from his father and the stories that he heard about what he had done for Isaac and what he had done for Abraham. Waiting on the Lord isn't just waiting. And that is something that's just as true today. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. For somebody who thinks they, God has a certain ministry for them, a certain role, that's all well and good, but it may not be the role that you start doing. God may have something else for you to do before you do that thing. And... It may turn out that that thing that you think is going to be the role isn't the role, it's going to be something else. God gives us things to do now. And we should look at those things and do them. And then trust God that as time goes on, as we increase in faith and maturity and knowledge, that God will give us other things to do at the opportune time. Um, I have found that I've never really had to try to go do something. I have found that the opportunities were given to me along the way. Sometimes to my surprise, sometimes I get a phone call, uh, like I did from Pastor Joe once. And um, we, we don't need to worry too much about that. We need to be concerned mostly about doing what God has given us to do now. And if we're not sure, to seek his counsel and to seek the advice of some people that you trust within the church. Forgiveness rather than revenge. Okay, that, that's a big thing. He did not deal with his brothers the way his brothers had treated him, at least thus far. Now, we're going to be building on these themes as we move along in the story, um, building on the nature of forgiveness and also um, bringing into it perspective that we'll talk about that. One thing I hadn't said about Joseph before and and really 
is worth mentioning now is that he had this belief in the God of his fathers, right? He ends up in Egypt with this tremendous pantheon of gods. And he is not swayed by any of them. He continues to serve his God. As a matter of fact, when he's talking to his brothers, he speaks of one God when he, in terms of when, when he's talking about Benjamin. And it sailed over him, over his brothers' heads, just like when he put them by age order. They were amazed, but they didn't think anything else of it other than it was just amazing. So that's where we are, and we're going to move next time and try to try to finish the story or get close to it and learn more about forgiveness and learn about the big picture. Let's pray, everybody. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.